and welcome. I'm Steve Martorano, and this is the Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the Behavioral Corner. Please hang around a while. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Behavioral Corner. I'm Steve Martorano, always hanging here, looking for interesting people. We've been very lucky on the Behavioral corner. We're always running into interesting people. They always have fascinating things to tell us. And that's certainly the case uh, today with our two guests. First, got to begin with a little backstory here. Who would have thought that the travails of a pop star would have shined such a light on something that I didn't know much about, if anything, and I suspect a lot of other people were also in the dark about guardianships. The pop star in question, of course, is Britney Spears, unless you've been living in a cave, it's hard to avoid the news she's made. She's well beyond her role as a pop star. She, as I said, is involved in a apparently a titanic battle to free herself from the guardianship under which she has uh, been subjected by court order for over 13 years. What started as a group of look like her fans on the corner saying free Britney has sort of metastasized into a much bigger story <laughs> about what exactly goes on with guardianships are they being abused? And how do we protect ourselves against an abusive guardianship? The population is getting older. The baby boomers are entering their eighth decade. Yeah, their eighth decade. It's hard for me to say that. We're not getting any younger. So it's important that we know about guardianship, who it affects, how we can uh, make sure that the process works the way it should. To that end, we welcome a couple of expert guests to the Behavioral Corner. Sally Herme is uh, an attorney. She is also involved in something called the National Guardianship Association. She is joined by our other guest, Angie Troutman. Angie is the certification director for the Center uh, for Guardianship. Together, I can tell you, they, uh, they bring to the table a lot of information that we're going to cover about guardianship. So that's it, uh, chapter and verse from my end. Hi, ladies. Thanks for joining us on the Behavioral Corner. Hi there. Hello. Before I get down to sort of the nitty gritty of some questions, am I wrong in assuming that guardianship has the potential to explode in growth, given that the population is getting older, is old. Angie, are you seeing more people having to be certified, for instance? As more states are requiring certification, then we're obviously seeing more applicants coming our way. That's the perfect place to begin. I was surprised when you and I talked earlier that not every state requires certification. Tell us what the situation is broadly concerning the different states and different laws governing certification for guardianship. There are only... um, I believe nine or 10 states that require certification with our organization. Um, Then there are also a handful of states that have their own state-run certification or registration programs, but that leaves the vast majority of states to require no certification or no special training. The vast majority of states. So before you get into the process of certifying those, let me switch to, uh, to Sally Hermit. Sally, that sounds like the Wild West. It doesn't sound like any way to run an airline. Why don't we have more uniform across-the-board laws about guardianship? Oh, uh, getting uniformity among the states on their guardianship uh, laws has been a decades-long process. There is a, a new model law or uniform law that sort of addresses all of the key points that uh, we've been talking about this past year called the Uniform Guardianship, Conservatorship, and Other Protective Arrangements Act. It's been developed 
by national experts through the Uniform Law Commission, but it's up to the individual states to determine whether they want to incorporate these innovations into their own current guardianship laws. Most guardianship laws have been around for um, since the 80s and 90s when there was a major reform movement, but there's still so much more that could be done in the various states. But guardianship is a state process. So each state can do whatever they really feel uh, compelled to do in determining what the guardianship process is going to look like. Mm, Yeah, Um, that sounds like sort of standard bureaucratic inertia. But we'll get back to that in a second. Auntie, tell us about uh, the Center for Certification. Uh, How how, uh, old an organization is it? That we can clarify, but I believe in the 90s, uh, CGC kind of broke off from NGA to handle certification exclusively. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, uh, Sally is a consultant to uh, to the certification organization. Mm-hmm. Take us a bit through the process for those uh, locations where certification is required. What's the process, Angie? What do people have to do to become certified? Depending on the applicant's educational background, they have to complete either 10, 20, or 30 hours of coursework or training in order to qualify for our certification exam. If an applicant has a college degree in a related field, they would need 10 hours of coursework. Um, If they do not have a related college degree, but they have a current license or a current certification in a related field, they would need 20 hours of coursework. And if they have only a high school education, then in that case, they would need 30 hours of coursework before they can qualify um, for our exam. Um, And they would then, you know, essentially register, take an exam, and um, we require 20 hours of continuing education during every two-year certification period. So we do require that they um, continue to to learn. Your organization doesn't provide the casework for them, or does it? The coursework? Yes. No, we do not sell any education. We just exclusively do the exam. Um, So applicants can go to their state-level guardianship associations to find uh, conferences and seminars. Uh, The National Guardianship Association offers online webinars, and they also host conferences annually. Um, So really, it's kind of up to the individual to seek out that educational opportunities related to guardianship, and that has to be done before they can take the exam. Yeah. Does the uh, applicant's status or relationship to the person they, they wish to become guardian for have any bearing on this case? It does or, not. Yeah. It does so, not. So whether they're practicing as a professional guardian or as a family guardian, the requirements are the same. The qualifications are the same. Yeah. Sally, there are professional guardianship uh, uh, guardians uh, who do this for a living? Yes, indeed, there are. Although we don't have uh, precise data on who is guardian or who is under guardianship, but uh, our best estimate is that 85 to 90 percent of the guardians that have been appointed are family members, and the professional guardians are definitely the minority 
of individuals who are appointed. So anyone can be certified, but most of those individuals who seek certification or are required to have certification are the professional guardians who uh, serve people that they're not related to. Mm -hmm. And that pool of guardians, the people who do it as a profession, um, in other words, a court has access to a list of those names, if no family members available or any anybody else, that's how they find them? Most courts do maintain a list of individuals in those states where it's required, they would know who has been certified or not. In all the other states, certification is definitely um, voluntary. And CGC has many certified guardians in states where it's not required. But the professional has recognized that being certified is as an important sort of a, a badge of I agree to hold myself to standards of practice. I have studied and prepared for the exam. I know I have to continue my education during certification. And then they are uh, subject to discipline if they violate any of the standards of practice. So anyone can become certified, but most of the individuals who are certified are professionals. And the family members are exempt in the mandatory states from being certified. That was my next question. The percentage of people that, Angie, you see for certification, sounds like they're overwhelmingly professionals in those areas where you're certifying them. Um, And family members are exempt. Is that what I understood you say? Okay, well, when we say family members, do we mean very close family members or can it be any family member, no matter how distant the relationship might have been? Oh, well, it depends on the family circumstances. If there's a petition for uh, guardianship, then there's a need to identify who can serve. The petitioner or the person seeking guardianship typically has someone in mind. It could be the person petitioning or someone in the family that they want to serve. So it's really up to the petitioner to recommend, at least, who would be appointed. If there is no one uh, suitable within the family, then the court will have to seek someone outside of the immediate family or friends or neighbors or someone who's already in the individual support network. And that suitability is at the discretion of the judge. The court makes the determination if they're suitable. Uh, Yes. Okay. I mean, the more you find out about this patchwork of requirements and uh, uh, certifications, the more you realize that there are just gaping holes in this system that I suppose have led to situations like Britney Spears finds herself in. And other people now looking at that circumstance wonder, I'm okay now, but if I become incapacitated, Am I going to get caught up in this thing where strangers are going to be making decisions about everything? It's a terrifying thought. Angie, you want to say something? I absolutely have the answer for that. And that's doing advanced planning. It's important to have a power of attorney, have a healthcare power of attorney or an advanced directive. 
do the planning. If you become incapacitated, who do you want to make decisions for you? Mm-hmm. Advanced planning is essential to avoid guardianship. And those instruments you just described, the power yes. of attorney and the, and the medical uh, advanced directive, they would supersede any effort for anybody to come in from the outside and say, Aunt Mabel can't take care of herself. I have to do it. As long as there's no abuse by the the agent, the court will look to see how that person is taking care of Aunt Mabel. But if Aunt Mabel has selected Susie, the neighbor, to be her financial agent and is doing it, that is considered a less restrictive alternative. And there's lots of focus in guardianship reform efforts now just to avoid having the court select your decision maker and emphasizing the importance of you selecting your decision maker when you can't make decisions for yourself. Uh, Angie, let me ask you, you are, uh, as we speak now, headquartered in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, correct? Correct. So I'm sitting in uh, Philadelphia or, you know, Pittsburgh. How many counties in Pennsylvania require certification? Currently only two. That's Montgomery County and Northumberland. And that's because the judges there issued a a standing rule requiring it there. Yeah. I don't know that you have the answer to this, but why would maybe Sally can jump in here. Why would judges in one county or two counties here have one view on certification and every other county some other view, in fact, no view, right? I don't understand this. We don't have different traffic certification processes or medical degree processes county by county. Why in the world would something as critical as who's going to take care of you, if you can't take care of yourself, be left so wide open? It's astonishing to me. And let me let me pivot to that to go back to the Britney Spears things, because after all, it's the best example we've had, I think, as a general public. For 13 years now, she has been literally, I controlled is the word, every decision, both professional and medical, and I guess private as well, controlled by her guardian, who is her father. She's fighting desperately now to get out from under that. She's uh, making some headway. Uh, Are you saying that that happened to her because she did not have the foresight to plan? I mean, she was just a kid. Why would she be thinking about, you know, down the road? Talk a little bit about the loss of autonomy, which is what this is about. I understand about if you have mental difficulties and you can't take care of yourself. Mostly this is for disabled people who can't take care of themselves. But the idea that she was put under a guardianship as restrictive as this because she might have been being taken advantage of by some outside forces who wanted her money or even that she was abusing substances. She's not the first entertainer who's ever thrown her money away or even abused drugs. How did she wind up sort of a wholly owned property of her father? I cannot comment on the history of the Britney Spears case. All I can say is that it is an example of where guardianship reform is definitely heading in the less restrictive alternative or that the guardianship itself is limited to the specific decision-making needs of that individual. That's where we're heading. Can't comment what happened, what what was going on 13 years ago. Let let me ask you then in a general sense, 
is this a common circumstance that someone in guardianship would be presented with at some point total, it seems to me, loss of her own rights to make any decisions? Is that a typical situation? It's a declining situation. It is a problem that at well-recognized problem by guardian advocates that there are too many guardianships for people who really don't need guardianship. Mm -hmm. And those who do need guardianship don't need plenary or full guardianship Mm -hmm. that takes away all of their rights. And this is the drive and the emphasis that we're trying to convince state legislatures to recognize and to adapt that guardianship is not a one-size-fits-all for every person, that people have individual needs and do need to forms of protection. It should be as gentle or as tailored to the individual circumstances. We recognize that there are people who um, could have a modification. There should be more court review of the case as it goes on and work toward how can we restore rights as quickly as possible. Because circumstances change and the person under guardianship may be in a different situation later on. Angie, let me ask you, in terms of certifying these people, um, I mean, sadly, the Spears uh, situation is, as I said, shined a light on this thing. When folks, I hope, hear you talk about how few locations, even in the state of Pennsylvania, need certification, they should be galvanized to find out why that is. I mean, there are some people who just don't measure up, correct? That don't qualify for certification? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anyone with any kind of felony uh, background, we, we do a criminal background check. If you have felony, then um, you obviously are disqualified. But if you, you know, fail the exam, you're you're not qualified for certification. And in the states where certification is required, you therefore would not be eligible to practice. Yeah. You said criminal background checks. Do you do financial background checks on people? Having bad credit alone would not disqualify someone from, from serving. No, it wouldn't. But Sally, it's certainly a red flag when we hear about the rackets. And that's the word the critics use, this sort of guardianship industrial complex that's out there lurking. And these are people who swoop in, look for vulnerable elderly folks who have some assets and uh, just want to drain their assets. Do you think financial background checks are necessary? It's something that we have debated within CGC and within the National Guardianship Association and all the other guardian advocates. Um, What should happen in this process is that the court should ask the individual about their financial savviness. Uh, If they can't maintain their own bank account, if they're struggling to pay their own debts, then the court should be asking that question before appointing that individual. Mm -hmm. But remember, most of these people who are appointed as guardians are family members. And if there is an available appropriate family member, that family member is going to be appointed, even if that family member may have a bad credit score. Is it going to be the family member or is it going to be a stranger? And that's the the conundrum that most courts experience, not these Britney Spears 
uh, $26 million in, in asset kind of cases. Those are few and far between. And most individuals under guardianship do not have assets. That's why we have to have public guardians who can serve as the guardian for those individuals who have no resources. Yeah. You, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're running out of time here. Uh, it's a gigantic uh, topic. It covers a lot of ground. It does. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm grateful for your time. I would just like to sum up and ask each of you that in light of the publicity that the Spears case has generated, Angie, I'll begin with you. From a certification standpoint, what would you like to see result come as a result of what we now know about what happened to her? I would like to see states require certification to have minimum standards. And as an individual, as a human, I want to make sure that uh, I'm choosing, you know, the person most qualified or most capable to help me. And I would think that anyone would want that. Uh, Sally, to you as well, what would you like to see uh, result in all of this uh, intense interest? And also, I'd like to ask you whether the the notion, as I mentioned earlier, of rampant abuse is as big as some people believe it to be. I think that there is no rampant abuse. The Government Accountability Office and the Senate Special Committee on Aging looked at this issue of how much abuse in guardianship there is on multiple occasions over the past decade or so. And they have not been able to identify other than this headline story here and this headline story there where abuse is happening and the abuse in many circumstances where the GAO and their extensive research looked for abuse. The abuse was happening by family members who had been appointed. But what I hope to see come from the Britney Spears case is that recognition of what we as guardian advocates have been talking about, how guardianship, the process should be more selective, more tailored to the individual's needs, and periodically reviewed to make sure there are opportunities to restore rights as the person's condition improves. Yeah, yeah. and with less heavy lifting than apparently uh, Britney Spears is, uh, is uh, demonstrating. Anyway, thank you so much, ladies. Uh, it's, as I said, just sort of the surface of this issue, which is huge. Uh, Angie, if people want to know more about your organization or how to become certified? How do they uh, How do they find out? They can visit our website. It's www.guardianshipcert.org. Or they can call our office, uh, area code 717-238-4689. Terrific. We'll put that up on uh, the Behavioral Corner website and everything. Sally Herme, uh, Angie Troutman, thanks so much, ladies, for your time and for shedding light on, on, on this. Thank you for shedding light on the issues and trying to help improve guardianship. Well, I certainly, I certainly want to make a little effort towards that. And it would be nice if we could free Brittany too, but <laughs> we'll see what happens. Again, thank you for joining us on the Behavioral Corner. For you guys uh, hanging with us, thanks so much. Don't forget to follow us on all those places you're supposed to follow us and look for the podcast wherever they're peddling podcasts these days. And we'll catch you next time on the Behavioral Corner. 
Studies show that 2020 has negatively affected the mental health of millions of Americans. That is why at Retreat, we work to provide comprehensive mental health programming through our Synergy Health programs. To learn more about Synergy and the comprehensive mental and behavioral health services we offer, call us today at 855-802-6600. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, on the Behavioral Corner.